Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are you this week? Well, I hope. Drinking enough water and getting enough sleep? I haven't been doing either, so I'm not here to judge, just to support. It's finally getting a little chilly here in LA, and it makes me so happy. I've got a crackly candle going and some coffee, and life's pretty good at the moment. Let me see if you can hear my crackly candle. Oh, it's not being very crackly right now. I apologize. Of course, I start recording, and it decides to get shy. So as you may have noticed, this intro is missing my new intro music. Well, there are some behind-the-scenes things happening that are out of my hands for now, and this week, at least, I can't use my new or my old intro music. So for those of you who hate change and were already thrown off by my new intro music and now even newer whatever is playing right now, my deepest apologies. This is past Shelby. I have no idea what future Shelby is going to put in place of my old and old new music. So if you hate it, blame her, not me. I hope you enjoyed this week's Guided Nightmare that was released on Tuesday. Again, all the Tuesdays. Well, there's only one more. Tuesdays until Halloween. I was doing them up until Halloween, and next week will be the last one. And like I said, they're not going to go away after that. They're just going to be a little more sporadic. They won't be week to week. Um, But this Tuesday's, it was Library, and it's one of my favorites. I actually hadn't listened to it since it came out about a year ago on the Patreon page, and... I listen to it every week before, I I schedule them to be uploaded a couple weeks ahead of time, but when I listened to it or re-listened to it, I forgot there's kind of a little surprise in there. I won't spoil anything if you haven't listened to it. And I almost fell out of my chair and I am so sorry that that is what I do to you. (laughs) Um, I was also asked on Facebook if I recommend headphones for the Guided Nightmares, and yes, I actually think that without headphones, they lose all effectiveness they may have had. Also, you don't have to let me know that you hate them. They're not for everybody. They're kind of weird, and that's okay, and it's okay if you hate them. Let's all live in the harmonious thought that we don't all have to like the same things. It's fine. If I was offended that you didn't like every bit of content I put out, that would make me an egomaniac, and I don't plan on becoming one of those until I'm much more famous. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm serious. I'm very much kidding. <laughs> all right, enough chit-chat. Let's get on with the stories. This first story is by an author who is new to the show, and I'm so excited to start featuring her work. This is The Watchmaker by Danny Machen. Three boxes. We moved into this house two years ago, and there were still three boxes that were never unpacked. My girlfriend, Liv, was the neat freak, and those boxes drove her crazy. (sighs) Cardboard reminders of my inability to complete a task. 
you haven't used anything in those boxes since we moved. If you don't use something in two years, it needs to be thrown out. She said those words too many times to count. But she wasn't wrong. Liv threatened to put the boxes on the curb once a week. She never followed through. Maybe if she had, she'd still be here. I don't think the boxes are what made her leave. I think it was a lot of things. She was always needing more from me than I could give. Liv spent seven years waiting on a proposal that would never come. No, it wasn't the boxes. She left me because I could never be what she wanted. I could never be a husband or a father. But every day, she passed those three cubes that she had neatly stacked in the den as a way of enticing me to unpack. Every day, she saw that I could never fully commit to this house. Every day, she was reminded that I could never fully commit to anything including her. I don't blame Liv for leaving. I'm surprised it took her that long. She was so far out of my league. For the life of me, I couldn't think of one thing that made her stay for so long. I was a slob. I was broke. I was unhappy. I had the potential to be decent looking, but it never seemed worth the effort. Liv was perfect. Wavy, dark red hair, big eyes, the color of a stormy sea. I used to get lost in those eyes. Freckles were scattered across her nose. I used to count them while she slept. Back when I knew what I had. When I was grateful for every moment with her. I, on the other hand, was far from perfect. I was about to hit 30, and already my hair was streaked with more gray than I cared for. The small paunch in my midsection implied that my years of binge drinking had caught up with me. The sun had prematurely aged my skin. My eyes, once a vibrant hazel, seemed perpetually muddy. I guess it had been about three weeks since she left. Wait, that can't be right. I don't know. It was hard to keep track. My days had a way of blending together. Liv took Fred, the one-eyed cat we'd adopted together. She was kind enough to leave Viola. Viola was my tortoise. She'd been with me since I smuggled her into my dorm freshman year. Well, Vi, I think it's official. We're on our own. She faced away from me chewing on the leafy greens that littered the floor of her tank. I think she was mad at me for driving Liv away. I couldn't blame her. Though I didn't have much of an appetite, Viola's chewing reminded me that it was time to eat. As I walked down the hall towards the kitchen, I saw them. Those damn boxes. With no warning, I finally felt the weight of what was happening. My life was in shambles. I lost the perfect woman because I took her for granted. I was a huge piece of shit for way too long and it all finally caught up to me. Fuck you! 
I shouted at the top box as I threw it across the room. I did the same with the one below it. I heard something shatter, but I didn't care. I kicked the last box as hard as I could, launching it to the opposite wall. I screamed again, this time out of pain. There was something heavy in the box and my toe broke on impact. I cursed at the abused cardboard, then at myself for my own stupidity. I decided to continue my quest to the kitchen, now with a noticeable limp. But something caught my eye. My grandfather's pocket watch spilled out from the wreckage of the Great Box Massacre. Damn it. I said as I picked it up. I could hear glass shifting beneath the cold metal exterior. Sure enough, the face was shattered. I managed to destroy the only family heirloom I had ever received. My mom would kill me if she found out. I took the watch to the kitchen and set it on the counter beside my keys. I vowed to replace the glass the next day. I searched for watch repair shops during some downtime the following morning. Working from home afforded me with quite a bit of downtime. There were a few places nearby, so I chose the nearest one with a decent set of customer reviews. The shop was called Tick, Chime, and Father Time. Cute. The top review gave the place five stars. Thank God for Art, the owner. I came in with my shattered antique grandfather clock. Some neglectful movers dropped it while moving it into our new house. I was devastated. Every other shop in the area told me it was beyond repair. Art was the only one willing to give it a try. He fixed my old clock in less than a week. It looks better than ever. Thank you, Art. The rest of the reviews were of a similar caliber. Apart from one. That old bastard ruined my life. He took everything from me. The review cut off. I chuckled to myself. It seemed like an extreme reaction to have towards a watchmaker. Some people always seem to make something out of nothing. An hour later, I finally worked up the energy to put on pants and shoes and set off to see Art. I wondered if he had other employees or if he did all the work himself. I didn't have much time to think on it, as the shop was only five minutes from my house. As I pulled up to the shop, I couldn't help but wonder how I had never noticed it before. I'd lived in that neighborhood for years and had been to almost every other shop on the street. Tick, Chime, and Father Time had large gilded clocks on display in the front windows. They weren't exactly easy to miss. How had I never noticed the shop before? Some of those reviews were several years old and none had mentioned a change of location. I shrugged off the weirdness and paid the meter before heading inside. The door made a cuckoo sound as I walked through the door. Clever art. The inside of the shop was a maze of clocks, each one ticking in unison. Judging by the accuracy of his merchandise, Art was good at his job, though I wondered how long I could listen to the ticking before I lost my mind. I wove through the aisles and eventually came upon a small counter. No sign of any shopkeeper, but a small bell sat in the center of the counter. Hello there. 
a soft voice said from behind me. I jumped, startled at the old man's sudden appearance. I hadn't even had the chance to ring the bell. Oh, my apologies for frightening you. Oh, it's fine. I, I just didn't see you there. Where the hell had he come from? The name's Art Graves, owner and operator of this fine establishment. How may I assist you? Ah, you are needing a repair, I see. What? Oh, yeah, I'm Jake. My pocket watch has a busted face. It's a family piece, so I was hoping you'd be able to help me out. I wasn't sure how he knew I needed a repair. Maybe I didn't look like the type to be clock shopping alone in the middle of the day. I bet Liv would have loved this shop. Yes, of course. It's a fairly simple fix. I have a few other repairs to work on today, but I can probably have this done tomorrow morning. Does that work for you? As he spoke, I took inventory of the man who was saving my ass from my mother's wrath. Art had no hair to speak of, though his eyebrows were quite unruly. One eye was clear and sharp and pierced me when he spoke, but the other was clouded over to a near-opaque, filmy white. His back appeared to hunch with age, and his hands were gnarled with arthritis. They did not look like the hands of an expert watchmaker. Well? He prompted. Oh, yes, that's fine. Take your time. Art took down my name and phone number and assured me that the watch was in good hands. I left the shop feeling a bit better, knowing that I had finally accomplished a task when I said I would. That evening, as I fed Viola, I noticed how old my hands had gotten. I'd heard that the hands are one of the first body parts to show age. I didn't know if it was true, but my hands looked much older than 30. Maybe I need a vacation. My broken toe was showing no signs of improvement. The bruising had traveled halfway up my foot, and I was finding it more difficult to walk. I sensed a visit to the doctor in my future, something I tried vehemently to avoid. Doctors are just drug dealers with a higher education. No thanks. I ate a light dinner and went to bed early. I felt exhausted from my day of actually acting like an adult for once. Art called me at 7.30 the next morning. Uh, hello? Jake, this is Art. Oh, did I wake you? My apologies. I'm up with the sun every morning. Anyway, your watch is ready. Stop by any time. I mumbled a goodbye and hung up. Well, since I was forced to be awake by a man with no concept of working hours, I decided to head over to the shop so I could work uninterrupted for the rest of the day.
20 minutes later, I was standing at Art's counter, putting more effort into my peripheral vision so he would not sneak up on me again. But my wariness was unnecessary. Art emerged from his back room, holding a velvet case that I assumed contained my grandfather's watch. Was it just me, or was he standing a bit straighter today? As he opened the box, I noticed that his knuckles were a lot less swollen. Even his cloudy eyes seemed a bit clearer. I wondered if my mind had exaggerated some of his features. Art probably wasn't as old as I had originally thought. I reached for the watch and popped it open. Then, my knees buckled to the floor. And everything went black. There's no need to be afraid, Jake. I could hear Art's soft voice, but my ears were ringing. My whole body hurt. What? What happened? I asked. My voice came out as a croak. Oh, the effects will wear off soon, and you'll be on your way. What? Art wasn't making sense. Had he drugged me? The easiest word to describe it would be... Transference. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. I stayed quiet, wishing that my head would clear. In short, your life is mine. All the years you would have had, all your health, everything you could have been, it's mine now. He was crazy. That wasn't possible. But my hands, they were older. And Art was definitely getting younger. He had even begun to grow thick, dark strands of hair. How? Why are you telling me all this? Maybe I still had time. Maybe I I could have done something about it. Oh, my boy. The how is not important. And once the initial transference has worn off, you will forget everything we've talked about. Of course... There was one instance when the memory wipe failed, but that's all in the past. You will take your watch and go home. You will be satisfied with my work. You will go about your normal life, and then you will die. Don't worry. I'll use your years wisely. Why are you doing this to me? I felt weak, so weak. My last transfer was a bit of a miscalculation. I thought my subject was healthy with many years ahead of him, but I was wrong. His years ran out very quickly. But I suppose that was not your question. You want to know why 
I chose you. The answer is simple. I choose to cheat death, and you chose to waste life. The moment you walked into my shop, I knew you had almost no potential. I only take from those who have years to give, but would do nothing with them on their own. Time is never something that should be wasted. Art smiled. I'm sorry, Jake, but you've had 30 years to prove your worth. Now, I fear, your time is up. This couldn't be real. This was like something out of a bad movie. But I believed what Art was telling me. I was seeing the evidence. He was getting younger. And I could feel my life slipping away. Live. Art laughed. <laughs> Close your eyes, son. This will all be over soon. Hey. Hey, buddy. You alright? A knock on the car window woke me. How long had I been asleep? I didn't even remember getting in the car. I looked up at the officer, peering into the window. I nodded and gave a muffled apology through the glass. I looked around to try and figure out why I was in the car and where I had been going. None of the shops rang any bells. I looked down at the passenger seat and saw the watch gleaming up at me. Had this thing always been so shiny? Right. Broken face, I mumbled. But when I picked it up, there was no sound of broken glass. I clicked it open to find the glass perfectly intact. Weird. Had I dreamed the whole box incident? The throbbing in my boot reminded me that I had not. I was so confused. I could remember breaking the watch and wanting to get it fixed, but nothing after that. What the hell was happening? Maybe I had finally lost it. Maybe Liv leaving was the final straw, and my mind just couldn't take it. Maybe I would have to put my hatred for the doctor out of my mind and get checked out. Did I have a head injury? I glanced up at my rearview mirror to check for any obvious injuries. When had I become so old? This next story comes from someone you're familiar with. This is from Ken Kreckler, who you know from his work, uh, Provider and Unreal and Lucid. So many amazing stories that have been on the show. This new one is a little different. I noticed it's a little different than his normal work, and I really like it. I hope you're into aliens. This is Unapparent Virtue. 
the teeth came first, snapping wildly and barking loud as the eyes around them flickered my face reflected in each black and glassy globe. But I didn't feel afraid of bulging tendons or sprouting limbs because love's a funny thing. Vulnerable and scared and so deeply ashamed. It was the first time I realized just how brave my wife was. She didn't like for me to say it, but I owe everything I have to her. She saved me in so many ways. And on the night before my wedding, as something impossible towered over me with claws that formed through rippling skin, breathing deep of foreign air with lungs no scientist had seen, I knew the time had come to save her back. The only monster I'm afraid of lives in mirrors. Long time back, we were bleeding, fluorescent lights above us, blurring by, all these people yelling. We had met just an hour before, and I knew then, and I know now, that I would die to protect her from the dark and ugly secrets that are guarded by the world. From masks we wear to hide the lies, we sink deep into an ocean of tantrums and regret. I would never allow her to learn the truths that built my life. I'd kill her first. But that was before I got married. Long time back, my squad was stationed in some sandy, lawless land where water was scarce and bathrooms simply weren't around. Each and every morning there were trumpets and drills and we marched in lines to stare ahead at untouched horizons and we tried our best to forget about all the awful actions we were used to all the time. On the night before my wedding, I remember the sound of the teeth as they snapped, the glistening gums and tufts of hair growing faster than anything possible. Looking at these twelve black and loving eyes, I thought of all the children I had killed with sprays of bullets of the families I had torn apart because of orders handed down through men I'd never known. And as those claws glistened and dripped with something thick and viscous, I thought of the many private moments I'd spent crying in the barracks late at night, of how different the world now was because of all the things I'd done. Those twelve black eyes were bloodless 
blinking tears of hope away like dark and distant memories of unsalvageable need. One night, long time back, when my unit had gone still and quiet with the snores of my brothers cutting loud, there came a sudden, blinding light that poured itself through every window, followed by a tremor that shook things from their shelves. And there was a boom so deep and loud that we felt certain an attack was on its way. Calamity, then... Everyone shouting, grabbing weapons. I stayed still. So tired of the shame and knowing I could never share myself with anyone. My family and friends. Who would never know the real me. Not really. Not anymore. I welcomed that attack. Because I wanted to be dead. My eyes calm on the springs of the cot above. The light engulfed the room. Screaming. Everybody screaming. But I was imagining the face my mother would make. Were she ever to discover what it took to keep the name of the peace she thought my country represented. In my mind, I was holding a gun. And the gun smelled strongly of murder and use because someone gave an order and I'd signed papers that had killed away all choice. The light grew brighter. There was a jolt that rippled through the barracks and I was taken to a place that no one to this day believes is real. Some red and sterile room where monsters with knives and needles stood above me, poking and planning their little secret plans, and they cut into my brothers fast with gleaming, glowing blades. Today, I only go to bars where no one knows me. Places where nobody asks about the scars that line my face and hands and surgical zigzagging seams. I drink coffee. I stare out windows. I think about the hospital. The moment she touched my hand. In the red room. We were strapped to cold tables made of stone, restrained by vines that seemed to move and pull as though alive. The monsters were moving quickly down the line of us, absorbed or maybe fascinated by what they must have seen as knowledge, and I could hear the screams of men I'd fought beside begin to echo through what I think were halls, and I felt peaceful, not afraid. A humming sound just then, a movement behind me that I can't define because there was no gust of wind, no sound of footsteps. 
My bonds came free. Someone told me that things would be okay. Before the monsters could use their methods on me, something cold and clammy took my hand and led me through a labyrinth of wires and pulsing walls. Through something close to glass, I saw pulsing stars against this nauseating black, and a voice was spitting syllables I'd never heard before. Filtered through a metal box it wore around its throat, and the box had a speaker, and the speaker spoke in an electrical monotone voice. Quickly, they come. Scales and claws and eyes and drool, the metal box around the throat said, Escape. Please follow. Please. A button was pushed, or a lever was flipped, and just before I felt a rushing in my ears, the box told me, Believe. Something slammed, and the stars transformed to lines of white. My wife's name is Sarah, and we landed in a field, bleeding and crying and conscious and scared wasn't long before the sirens came to take us to the hospital where fingertips informed me of the life I had ahead. The night before I got married, I stood in a bedroom as a monster gazed at me with twelve black and bloodless eyes. Needles grew from every finger, glistening with something maybe terrible every movement flashing with teeth and claws and trust and love. She wanted to show me who she was. She wanted me to know the truth. My wife, her name was Sarah, and I loved her very much. There is a world that stays away from us, much farther than it should because of space. A shrine of rocks and spires that glitter with a providence the likes of which we'll never likely see. They seek knowledge and a better understanding of the universe around them. And in this place, there are monsters who aren't monsters. And they wonder whether we might one day grow into the honest, sovereign creatures we were always meant to be. They watch and wait with hope in every heart they have, which number four. They can look like anything you see. They can change their form. And that is how they've lived so long from rock to rock, as wars of light rage ever outward reaching wonders that we as men can never truly match because we lack the wisdom and competence to govern such a nation with a rigorous resolve. When she took the form she did, my wife subscribed to all the pains and tribulations that you and I see every day. Just a person like the rest. Because of me, she gave to 
everything we were and rode forth into this awful thing we all become. She did that because she loved me. Because she believed in what I and all of us could be one day. Her funeral was good. It was what she would have wanted. With crying people. Full of love. The form she took adhered to all the cells she didn't know. And so she died a proper death. Along the lines of what she judged as better than what she would have had back home. I'll never know for sure if it was me she married, really. Just as likely it could have been some cause she thought we were all meant for. But I loved her. I accepted her. So we got married, and we had a good long set of years before she passed. More than all, I remember her bravery in showing me before we took our vows. I remember the hand that took my own as bare feet slapped against a cold and clammy ship. I remember so clearly a voice that begged direction, follow, please. And I remember believing. It is so nice, believing. Sometime soon, the day will come, and the world won't be ready. There will be floating rocks that join with others in the sky, filled with laws and regulations we won't understand. And maybe we will tell these rocks of all the horrors we have done. Maybe we'll be brave and trust that we were young. And maybe they'll believe us, and despite it all, they'll trust us back. I miss Sarah. She was very beautiful. You should have seen her. In the sun. With teeth. We are all still very young. We are only just now learning all the secrets of the stars. Sarah taught me that. Maybe one day, if we are lucky, her friends will teach us all the rest. Thanks for listening. Thank you to my authors for letting me let my imagination run wild with your content. Uh, if you'd like your story uh, on the show and if you'd like me to work my scare you to sleep magic, you can submit to scare you to sleep at gmail.com to be considered for the show. Um, next week will be Halloween week. Uh, so the kids episode will come out, uh, the last guided nightmare for this little Halloween season. Um, what else? The teen episode, as well as a normal episode. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited. There's a lot next week, uh, going on and I'm really stoked. I hope you're all having a great Halloween season. Mine, like I said earlier, finally feels like it can begin because it's not 105 degrees outside. So I am going to go and bake some brownies. 
Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Reddit. Um, you can join the Facebook group. The Facebook group has been growing. We're almost to 2,000 of you, and I, I'm blown away, and I, it makes me so happy. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to join the Facebook group for discussion threads, there, the Instagram, Twitter um, are all under just at scare you to sleep. Um, yeah. And if you have any questions or something, you can shoot me an email or there's a contact form actually on the website, scarytosleep.com. All right. I think that's all for tonight. Now go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.